Hello and welcome to the Memory Chapel podcast. Memory Chapel is a small, rural, non-denominational Christian church located on Banceville Road in 84, Pennsylvania. On this podcast, we feature an edited version of our Sunday morning worship service at the chapel and the Bible teaching of Pastor David All. Thanks for joining us. And now, let's get to the worship. If you have your scriptures and you're opening up, we are in Hebrews chapter 13 as we finish this letter that we have spent so many weeks going through. Hebrews chapter 13, beginning in verse 17. We'll be reading from 17 through the end of the chapter. Hebrews 13, beginning in verse 17. The word says, Obey your leaders and submit to them since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account so that they can do this with joy and not with grief for that would be unprofitable for you. Pray for us for we are convinced that we have a clear conscience wanting to conduct ourselves honorably in everything. And I urge you all the more to pray that I may be restored to you very soon. Now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, equip you with everything good to do his will, working in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I urge you to receive this message of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. Be aware that our brother Timothy has been released. If he comes soon enough, he will be with me when I see you. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who are from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with you all. This is the word of the Lord. For those of you who like to take notes, today's sermon is titled Cooperation. And there are two main points. The first one is cooperate with godly shepherds, and the second, cooperate with God's great shepherd. Cooperate with godly shepherds and cooperate with God's great shepherd. As we begin in this passage in verse 17, we see the command from the apostle. He says, obey your leaders. Now, I would love to clear up any confusion that might arise in your minds before it even comes What the apostle is calling for in this word is not mindless obedience that does not think, that does not evaluate, that does not judge all things by the word of God. In fact, it's just the opposite that the apostle is calling for. The word that is used indicates an obedience that is the result of a conviction that comes from being persuaded that something is true. That was a mouthful, and I'll say it again. The word that's used indicates an obedience that results from a conviction when you are persuaded that something is true. The idea is basically this. These followers of Jesus who are receiving this word from the apostle, they are being persuaded and convinced of sound doctrine. Doctrine is just an old word that means teaching. They are hearing the word of God. They are being persuaded and convinced of the truthfulness of God's word. 
convinced of sound doctrine through the biblical instruction that is being provided by the leaders in this church. And so the apostle says, obey your leaders. Hear the word of God. Hear the word of God and place yourself under the teaching of sound doctrine. Uh, That's the first important point under this main point. Cooperate with godly shepherds. How? By placing yourself under the teaching of sound doctrine. You know, what a great disadvantage many Christians place themselves under by not placing themselves under the clear teaching of the word of God. And where do we find the clear teaching of the word of God? Well, hopefully by the grace of God, we find it in the pulpit of the church that we ought to be attending. Hopefully we find it there. Fortunately, in our day and age, we live in an amazing age where there are an abundance of resources and avenues for you to find clear, sound, biblical teaching, whether it's on the radio, whether it's through the internet, whether it's through books or devotionals, there are many resources for you to avail yourself of in order to find sound biblical teaching. But there's a little bit of responsibility that comes with that too, because you have to judge and evaluate, measure everything against God's word. Just because a guy with a friendly smile and a good way of talking tells you something doesn't mean that it's so. There have been many deceivers who have gone out and they say very charming, lovely things that sound good to the ear, but it doesn't mean that it squares with the word of God. So there is responsibility on your part to judge everything by the word of God. But cooperate with godly leaders by placing yourself under the teaching of sound doctrine. Secondly, by purposefully submitting to the spiritual oversight of those who lead you in sound doctrine. Look here at the verse again. Obey your leaders and submit to them. This is a two-part. This is a couplet. We obey. The word, as I indicated, it means that we have become persuaded or convinced of sound doctrine, that it is true. But that's only half the race. Being persuaded or convinced of something means nothing if you refuse to act on it. And that's what is is meant here when it says submit to them. If you have a godly pastor, a godly shepherd in your church, I hope by God's grace that you do, who's rightly teaching God's word. If you have that and you are persuaded and convinced of the sound doctrine that is being taught, well, now you have a responsibility to submit to that sound doctrine, to let it shape your life, to let it change your footsteps, the way that you walk, the way that you talk, the way that you act, the way you conduct and carry yourself. And the apostle here is referring to these leaders in this church who he knew were teaching sound biblical doctrine. And he's telling the the people that are under their care, he's saying, you have a responsibility and obligation to submit to their leadership. If they provide godly counsel from God's word, you need to heed that counsel. You need to take it seriously. Um, You need to walk in it. The faithful shepherds of God's people are supposed to faithfully teach the word of God. Titus chapter two, verse one. Titus two, one says, Uh, The Apostle Paul speaking to a young pastor, he says, but you are to proclaim things consistent with sound teaching. It's the responsibility of the pastors who have the oversight of the flock to proclaim sound teaching. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. 
1 Timothy 6, 3-5, the apostle says, If anyone teaches false doctrine and does not agree with the sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the teaching that promotes godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing but has an unhealthy interest in disputes and arguments over words. From these things come envy, quarreling, slander, evil suspicions, and constant disagreement among people whose minds are depraved and deprived of the truth, who imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. Those who have the oversight of the flock are to preach and promote sound doctrine, not that which goes against God's word. So what is the appropriate response when biblical truth has been faithfully and convincingly proclaimed? Well, it tells us here in this passage, the appropriate response for us is submission. When we have been persuaded by sound doctrine, we must submit to the authority of God's word. It's clear that not all who hear sound doctrine will receive it or continue in it. 1 Timothy 4.1 1 Timothy 4.1 says, Now the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, explicitly states that in later times, some will depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. Not all who hear the word of God will receive it. Not all who hear sound doctrine will necessarily continue in it. To reject the authority of the Bible, to refuse to submit to godly shepherds who are providing sound biblical teaching, oh, this is something that we do at great peril to ourselves. Someone may ask, why should I need to submit to the spiritual oversight of my pastor? If he's preaching and teaching God's word faithfully, if he's teaching sound doctrine, you need to submit to that counsel, that guidance, that shepherding. And here's a few reasons why. It's given for us right in the text. Number one, those who are in positions of spiritual oversight in the church They keep watch over your soul. They keep watch over your soul because they must give an account to God. 1 Timothy 4.16. 1 Timothy 4.16, the Apostle Paul says to Timothy, pay close attention to your life and your teaching. Persevere in these things, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. There is this accountability that a pastor, an overseer has over the souls of those who are placed under his care. Acts 20, verse 28, Acts 20, 28. The Apostle Paul Paul speaking to the leaders of the Ephesian church, he says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. There's an accountability that the pastor, that the overseer has for the sheep that have been entrusted to him. An example comes to mind. Perhaps all of us can recall those instances from our school days when the teacher was gone for the day and we had a substitute teacher. Now, I can remember those days. Many children, perhaps we were like some of them, uh, we saw having a substitute teacher as an opportunity to slack off to shirk our work, and to misbehave, to get away with all kinds of things that the teacher would never let us get away with. 
I can remember some substitute teachers who really did let the kids get away with all kinds of things because they simply didn't care. And I can remember other substitute teachers who would get themselves worked up and would let the kids engage them in debates and, and they would eventually lose their temper and, and discredit themselves. But I can remember some other substitute teachers who would make the rules known very clearly, but they wouldn't fight with you. They wouldn't contest with you. They wouldn't be drawn into debates. But as misbehavior happened, they would just quietly write things down. They were keeping a record, keeping an account. I'm sure it was a lot of fun for the kids who thought they were getting away with it, but eventually the day was coming whenever the teacher was coming back and that account would be presented and then things weren't so fun. These substitute overseers, substitute teachers were keeping an account because they knew they needed to give an account to the one that they were representing. And so that's the idea here. Those who have spiritual oversight, they have to give an account. They're watching over our souls, trying to guard us from false teaching, false doctrine, lies of the enemy, heresies. They're trying to guard us from sins that would wage war against our soul and would render us ineffective for ministry and service in the body of Christ. They're looking out for us. They have oversight because they're guarding us and they have to give an account to the one to whom they're accountable to. Secondly, their work. Their work will either be burdensome or it will be joyful. It says here in this verse, um, so that they can do this with joy and not with grief. The word grief, it literally means with groaning. Think about how a task any task that you might have to do may be either a lighthearted joy or a burden that makes you groan. A lot of times, the thing that makes the difference is the people that you have to work with. Any difficult job can be a lighthearted joy if you're doing it with people who have a positive attitude and are working alongside with you. Oh, but God forbid you have to work with a coworker who's a grumbling, complainer, quarrelsome, doesn't pull their weight, doesn't do their share, and every step of the way makes the job all the more difficult to do. And it makes you groan because something that was already difficult, has now become almost unbearable. The apostles indicating here that we, each one of us, should conduct ourselves in such a way and submit to the sound teaching of the word so that those who keep watch over our souls will find that it is a joyful labor of love and not an agonizing burden that causes them to groan. I, I, I do want to mention some of you may be thinking, boy, this is an easy sermon for the pastor to preach because it's not pointed at him, but it is pointed at me. While I may have some oversight of your souls and I watch and guard over you, I nonetheless have a pastor who watches over me as well. I should be living my life in such a way that I'm not making his job a difficult burden that causes him to groan. And when you think about it, Conducting ourselves in this way so that we don't make those who have oversight of us to groan, it's really in our best interest. It's in our best interest that their work 
should be joyful. There is a level of self-interest involved here, to be sure. The apostle says, for that would be unprofitable for you. To cause those who must give an account for their shepherding of us, to cause them to groan because of our hard-hearted refusal to submit to the authority of the word of God, ultimately, that's unprofitable for us. That's not doing us any good. It will result in chastening from the Lord and sorrows in this life. I don't want you to dwell on this, but think back just for a moment. Things that you regret because of your refusal to heed godly counsel. Choices that you made in stubbornness, in obstinacy. Think back to those things and the sorrows that they've caused. Our disobedience does result in chastening from the Lord in this life. We saw that in Hebrews chapter 12. But it will also result in a loss of reward and responsibility in the life to come. A couple passages I want to read for you. 2 Corinthians 5.10. 2 Corinthians 5.10. The Apostle Paul says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. We will all stand before Christ, our Lord and our judge, and we will receive what we have earned based upon our service in the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. A little bit longer passage. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. The Apostle Paul says, According to God's grace that was given to me, I have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder, and another builds on it. But each one is to be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay any foundation other than what has been laid down. That foundation is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, or wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious. For the day will reveal it, because it will be revealed by fire. Speaking of judgment here, the fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss, but he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. The apostle is talking about that day when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and he examines with that penetrating gaze how we have built our lives upon the foundation that he laid for us. Each one of us builds on the foundation of Christ. But how are we building? What kind of materials are we using? Are we using the very best, the finest, most precious, most enduring materials to build our lives? Or are we like those foolish pigs in the story of the three little pigs? Are we building with wood Hey, straw, are we building with things that will not survive the fire of judgment, the testing? What, what is not in question here is the salvation of any believer in Jesus Christ. That's not in question. What is in question is, what reward will you enter into? What responsibilities will you be placed in charge over in the life to come? based upon how you have built in this life. Some of us look back over our lives and we recognize 
how we have foolishly built with subgrade materials. It's not too late. God can redeem the later years and bless them and multiply them just as well as he can redeem the earlier years. Build with what is good, with what is enduring, with what is lasting. Finally, we see here in this passage, beginning in verse 18, going through 19, we can cooperate with godly shepherds by simply praying for them. He says here, pray for us, for we are convinced Interesting, that's the same root word that was used up in verse 17 regarding obey. Same word, convinced. We are convinced or persuaded of this, that we have a clear conscience. Our conscience is good, wanting to conduct ourselves honorably in everything. And I urge you all the more to pray that I may be restored to you very soon. It is so important to cooperate with godly shepherds by lifting them up in prayer. Pray for them. You're helping yourself when you do it because they're the ones who have the oversight. They're watching out for your souls. Pray for them, that they'll be blessed in that pursuit, that they will be blessed in in guarding you, in leading you. The apostle here requests prayer for himself and his ministry team. He seems to be indicating that prayer on their behalf is a solid investment because they've been conducting themselves in a way that is above reproach and they have a rock-steady conviction that their consciences are clear and good. Uh, That's what I'm reading here. Pray for us, for we are convinced that we have a clear conscience. He says, know this. If you invest the time to pray for us in our ministry, know this. It's a solid investment because we are doing everything that we can, he says, to conduct ourselves in a way that is honorable. Our consciences are clear and good. The time spent in prayer is a solid investment when you pray for us, is what he's saying. He also requests specific prayer regarding his imprisonment, that he would soon be freed so that he could return to them. I think it should be noted here Don't let it escape your notice that the apostle obviously believes in the importance and the effectiveness of prayer. And you should too. We all should believe in the importance and the effectiveness of prayer. James chapter 5 verse 16. James 5 16 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Now, I realize I'm probably using a slightly different translation that you're from, than you're familiar with, but the idea is the same. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful in its effect. Never lose sight of that. Don't become discouraged. Yes, sometimes it feels like the prayers aren't getting above the ceiling. Where is God? Why hasn't he answered? Continue to pray. Jesus said that we should be persistent in prayer. Continue to pray. The Apostle Paul said, continue always in prayer. Carry on that conversation with the Lord and it doesn't require you to drop to your knees and fold your hands and close your eyes and bow your head. Carry on that prayer conversation with the Lord so that no matter where you are, what you're doing at any given time, you can slip into and back out of conversation with the Lord as you go about your days. 
Lift up your brothers and sisters. Lift up godly shepherds. We cooperate with them when we, when we keep them in prayer. Our second main point, cooperate with God's great shepherd. The passage here reads, Now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, equip you with everything good to do his will, working in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Cooperate with God's great shepherd. How? By placing your trust in the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. John 10, verse 11. John 10, 11. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The girls and I talked about that this morning as you were listening in. That's what the good shepherd does. He lays down his life for the sheep. And that is what Christ as the good shepherd has done for us. He laid down his life as a sacrifice for our sins. The God of peace who was in Christ reconciling the world to himself has made peace for us with him and has made peace for us with each other. He did it through Jesus, the good shepherd. Have you placed your trust in the good shepherd who laid down his life for you? I hope you have. Now, cooperate with God's great shepherd, how? By purposefully submitting to the great shepherd who supplies all you need to do the will of him who is at work within you. Boy, that was a mouthful. How do we cooperate with God's great shepherd? By purposefully submitting to the great shepherd who supplies all you need to do the will of him who is at work within you. This God of peace led Jesus up from the dead. That's literally what it says. It's an interesting word here in verse 20. Now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, that word brought, brought up, it, it really means led. The God of peace who led up our Lord Jesus from the dead. Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep. He who was led up from the place of the dead now leads his people as the great shepherd. As the good shepherd, he laid down his life for the sheep. As the great shepherd, he leads his sheep. This good and great shepherd is even spoken of in another way. He's spoken of as the chief shepherd in 1 Peter 5.4. 1 Peter 5.4 when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The chief shepherd is the one who oversees and rewards those who have faithfully watched over his flock. This is getting back around to the idea that we considered earlier regarding those who as leaders in the church are tasked with watching over our souls by teaching us sound doctrine from the word of God. They will give an account, of course, to that chief shepherd for the work that they have done in protecting and leading his flock. May we, may we be sheep that make their work a rewarding joy, not a groaning burden because of unruly disobedience. Jesus, the great shepherd who was led up from the dead, 
Uh, Just like the scriptures speak about the Lord leading Israel out of Egypt, how the Lord led them through the waters of the sea, in the same way, God led Jesus up from the dead, out of Sheol, out of the place of the dead, out of the earth. A shepherd leads a flock and brings them to a place where the sheep are safe and at peace. It is Jesus, the great shepherd, the one who was led up from the dead, who in turn leads God's people into paths of life, paths of righteousness. It says here in verse uh, verse 20, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. This is going to require a few comments. Through the blood of the everlasting covenant, it says that God led Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, up from the dead through the blood of the everlasting covenant. The idea that's being communicated here is simply this. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was God's exclamation point. His stamp of approval upon the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. Was Jesus' sacrifice effective to atone for my sin? Was it sufficient to remove my guilt by which I stood rightly condemned? before a just and holy God? Was it adequate to make peace with God and to reconcile me to him? That shed blood of Jesus, which was prefigured in the old covenant sin offerings, where the blood of the sacrificial animal was sprinkled upon the altar and upon the mercy seat, which was within the most holy place of the tabernacle, that blood of sprinkling, which Jesus perfectly applied in a way that the blood of bulls and goats could only ever picture for us, Was it accepted by God on my behalf? And how would I know? The answer is the resurrection. That's how I know. Was Christ's sacrifice sufficient and acceptable to God to ransom my soul and give me peace with God? To answer that question, all I have to do is ask another. Was Christ raised from the dead? Yes, Christ was raised from the dead. What does that mean? It means that his sacrifice for my sins was sufficient. It was enough to reconcile me to God. The God of peace who made an atoning sacrifice to put away the problem of my sin and to reconcile me to himself. It was the shed blood of Jesus that established this new and everlasting covenant, this new and eternal arrangement with God, whereby our sins might be freely forgiven by him and we might experience the peace of his kingdom. Jesus' shed blood is what established this new arrangement. And now it's through this new arrangement and through the great shepherd of the sheep who led up from the dead as he was, now leads us into paths of life, paths of peace, paths of wholeness with God, and equips us with everything good to do God's will. This word equip, I want to touch on this one too. It's an interesting word. Some versions of the scriptures will translate it as make you perfect. That's an acceptable translation too. The phrase make you perfect or equip is the translation of one Greek word. A Greek word that's unfamiliar to us, but was familiar to the people who received this letter. To the doctor of that day, it meant to set a broken bone tenderly with care so that it could heal. To the fishermen of that day, this word meant to mend a broken net 
so that it could be effective for use. Uh, To a sailor, it meant to outfit a ship for a voyage. To a soldier, it meant to equip an army for battle. You getting the picture here? Equip you to do his will. How does God equip us to do his will? I want to share some thoughts with you from a Bible scholar named Warren Wearsby. He has a very insightful answer in the Bible exposition commentary. How does God equip us? By tracing this word in the New Testament, we can discover the tools that God uses to mature and equip his children. He uses the word of God. Those of you who like to jot down scripture references, here they come. He uses the word of God, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. He uses prayer. 1 Thessalonians 3.10. He uses fellowship in the local church among the body of believers, Ephesians 4.11-12. He also uses individual believers to equip us and mend us, Galatians 6.1. Finally, he even uses suffering to perfect his children, 1 Peter 5.10. And of course, that relates to some things that we considered in Hebrews chapter 12 about the chastening of the Lord. Working in us is what it says. Working in us what is pleasing in his sight. That's how he equips us. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. Philippians 2, 12 through 13. The apostle Paul says, Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose so what is it is it working out or is it working in that passage there suggested we are to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling because God is at work in us is it work out or work in the answer is yes it's both God is working in in you. Because he is working in you according to his purpose, you can work out your faith in grateful service and obedience. It's a joint effort, you see. It requires cooperation. Cooperate. Think about the word cooperate. Co, it means to, with, together. Operate. Do this thing. Operate cooperation cooperate with God cooperate as we saw in our first point cooperate with God's word by submitting to it cooperate with godly shepherds who faithfully teach sound doctrine from God's word don't make their job a burdensome cause for groaning they have to give an account cooperate Finally, cooperate with the great shepherd himself. The great shepherd of the sheep who was led up from the dead and now leads the sheep of God into paths of life and righteousness. And he supplies them with everything they need to be fully equipped to do the will of God who is at work in their lives. God's at work in us so that we can work out his will in the world. Cooperation. He is the God of peace, and he moved heaven and earth to reconcile us to himself through the blood of the good shepherd who laid down his life for us and who opened for us the new and everlasting arrangement by which we are acceptable to the God who has loved us 
cooperate with the great shepherd. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you that we do have a good shepherd who laid down his life for us. Help us to trust him. Father, we thank you that we have a great shepherd who was led up from the place of the dead and now leads us into paths of life, righteousness, wholeness, peace with you through the everlasting covenant that he established through his shed blood. May we walk in that covenant. May we walk in peace with you, doing your will as you work within us, as we cooperate with the work of your spirit in our lives by working out our salvation in this world, in this context in which you've placed us. Help us to do this faithfully in a way that won't cause the spirit to groan and be grieved, in a way that won't cause those who have oversight of our souls to groan and be grieved. Help us to faithfully follow. In the name of Jesus Christ, our good shepherd, our great shepherd, we ask it. Amen. Thank you for having tuned in with us today. We hope you found the time in worship and the word to be encouraging, challenging, and strengthening. If so, we'd love to hear from you. We realize there are so many ways you could spend your time. We're glad you chose to spend it with us in worship and the word. Until next time, may the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be with you all today, this week, and forever.